welcome to the podcast. This is our first episode. Uh, on this episode, we are going to look at the first album to hit number one in 1992. We are looking at the era that produced Bill Clinton as a presidential nominee. Uh, we're going to go ahead and just start in January. Uh, so that album is Michael Jackson's Dangerous. Joe, do you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, it was released on November 26, 1991 on Epic. It hit number one the week of December 14, 1991, and the, it was actually the last week, January 4, 1992, which is, which is why we were forced to listen to this. Have you heard this album before? Like, is this your first time listening to it? Me? Yeah. Yes, my first time. Okay. Have you had, like, have you heard a Michael Jackson album before this? Not like a full album, but I mean, I know, you know, obviously who Michael Jackson <laughs> is and have heard like a hundred songs by him, especially like three, a hundred times. <laughs> so. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Let's go to charts and sales. <laughs> all right. So we already talked about the uh, charts a little bit, but this sold 32 million copies worldwide. How many, like... What did the Backstreet Boys sell? Like, what is that in Backstreet Boys numbers? Is that like one for every 18 albums the Backstreet Boys <laughs> sold or something? I I don't know. I have to look that up. This isn't about the Backstreet Boys. It still hit number one. Yeah. It in hit America. One. We're looking at American charts, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. I, I don't have anything else about that. Okay. Um, it was, well, actually, as far as, because he was a big deal. He was still a big deal at this time. This was before the child sex thing. Was it? I mean, I've I heard the album. <laughs> I know it's so it's it's weird to hear it in retrospect because there are things on this album where I felt like he was addressing those controversies, but he was not. The uh, sexual abuse allegations was ninety three. This was released in the end of ninety one, so he still. Do you think a, he like knew it was coming? I don't think that he did. He was still in the media a lot. Like his name was Wacko Jacko already at that point, because he had he he was. People thought he bought the bones of the Elephant Man. Like, do you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, they thought he slept in an oxygen chamber to reverse the aging process. This was a real rumor. Like, people thought this about Michael Jackson at the, this time. I think the first thing I knew about Michael Jackson was that he dyed his skin. Which I'm sure was a rumor, right? Because he had, like, that disease and, like, it caused his skin to, like, lose pigmentation. Like, it's a real disease yeah. and other people have it. But, like, that was the first thing that, like, I remember as a small child. So I was, what, four when this album came out? Yeah. So, like, that I, well, I guess it was three and a half because I would have turned four in July. Yeah. But is like, hearing about, like, Michael Jackson, like, dyeing his skin to be a white person or something. That See, that's what I heard, too, that he wanted to dye his skin because he wanted to be white. Not because he had a disease, but, like, this was the type of treatment he was getting in the media at the time. Where people were saying these things. That was the biggest one, I think. There's also Bubbles of the Chimp. I think he does, I think he does background vocals on a couple of these songs. The Chimp? I'm joking. Oh. See, I'm sure, dear listeners, you'll get a lot of this. <laughs> Joe has a very dry sense of humor, and I don't always know when he's joking. Even though I'm looking at him while we do this. He's a straight face. We have good poker games when we play poker. I'm excited for that, by the way. I suck at poker. Yes! Even better. If we play blackjack, that's my game. Not poker. Poker? Shh, I don't, don't even know. Even... <laughs> <sighs> 
Alright. Alright, so let's go into track by track to talk about it. So now let's get into the album proper. So the first track on this album is called Jam. What did you think about it? I thought it was very long. I thought the intro was long, but it, it definitely lives up to his name. It's I think it's more of a jam than a song. Like, the chorus is just him saying jam and then making weird noises with his mouth. <laughs> yeah, I just found myself thinking about peanut butter a lot and, like, English muffins. And after, like, he said it so many times and there was no substance to the song, I was like, jam, peach jam. <laughs> Grape jam, strawberry jam. Yeah, Bubba Gumped it. Uh, I like the beat on the song. It's very, it's like, it's definitely early 90s. You can definitely hear that. It's got a very bright, like, bam. Yeah. It reminds me of, like, uh, Salt and Peppa or, like, La Tigra, like something, yeah, like, right there at the beginning. Yeah, would you? That was one of the first things, that's one of the positive things I can say about it is I think the production is great. I think it sounds way better on speakers than headphones because it's not quite as abrasive, I guess. That was one of the weird things I found about the whole album is I thought it was very almost industrial sounding. Mm -hmm. Like I can see that. But the first thing I noticed I was like, this has to be Teddy Riley, who turns out I was right. He helped produce this album. That's He's from Blackstreet. Okay. And uh, he was in Guy. He produced... Uh, Rum Shaker. Okay. Stutter. Okay. And he's, his albums tend to sound very good to me. Mm. And this is, this is really no different. I was really surprised. It was a lot more hip-hop influence than I expected. Yeah, I think that the chorus would be really good, like, as a sample on a contemporary track. Like, Kendrick or Kanye, I can totally see them picking that up and, and running with it and putting something over it. You're right, though. It's really long. It's, like, it's what, a six-minute-and-thirty-second song or something? Something or, like that. It's ridiculously long. And it takes a long time to start, too. But And here's one thing. And I have this note on several tracks throughout this album. But, like, he just sounds so angry. Like, he's just so mad. Like, Michael, chill out, bro. The funny thing about it is I, I think he wants to sound angry, but he's so, like, his vocals are so breathy and kind of hiccupy. Where it comes off as like... He's sobbing in anger. Yeah. Yeah. The vocals I felt on this song were really low. Like, they were mixed really low. It's like, the the synth was, like, way louder than the vocals. I am 100% okay with that because I have a note here where I wrote, I don't mind this one because we don't really get that much Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, do you have anything else to say about this song? I like oh, the yes. trumpets. They come in, they don't come in until, like, four minutes into the song. But uh, I like them. I yeah, like I, I thought that that kind of I, I was losing interest by that point, and it, those kind of brought me back because they're you know bright and peppy. I think my biggest observation from this track is this album is called Dangerous, and towards the end, I you know I don't want to start out this podcast just me, you know throwing curses left and right. But he says, "Daggone it." <laughs> Like as it's one not of, very dangerous. Is that what you're saying? I, no, it's too dangerous for me. Oh. I'm I'm threatened. Oh, by Daggone it. Yeah. Oh. Well, we're gonna be. In Daggone it. That's what I said. Daggone it. Oh, I thought you said dad. 
know. What? Who's his dad gone it? I don't know. I thought you did. No. All right. No, we're married. You should know that. Okay. I've never heard you say that phrase in the first place. You're right. That's way too. I don't talk like that. Unfortunately, I should. Okay, uh, let's go to the next track. Why you wanna trip on me? Okay, so my first thought after hearing the song is, can you guys just leave Michael Jackson alone? The first time that I listened to this album, I I had thought the child abuse allegations were from like 89. So I was very concerned listening to this song because I was like, Michael, we all know why you're in the media at this point. And it's not <laughs> it's not because it's not because, you know, you bought the bones of the elephant man is because you you touched Touch children boys. yeah right. <laughs> but that was you know that was two years later luckily this song was not as tone deaf as i thought it was after i realized that i was like oh i kind of like it it reminds me a lot of like later 90s i think this was uh -huh. ahead of its time this could be an in-sync song easily <laughs> maybe the chorus it could have been like a b-track on celebrity i'll give you that or no, it would have been an Maybe not an NSYNC song, maybe a Backstreet Boys song. Like one of those boy band songs. It has it has like the proto-Max Martin sound. Yeah, okay, I would agree with that. But I would say it sounded more like what I was expecting from Michael Jackson's songs than the song before. That, uh, that weird guitar intro sounds exactly like kind of like faux aggressive, dangerous. Like it sounds like, it sounds like he thought this... You mean it's dangerous? Like, the album? It sounds... I think that it's supposed to be edgy, or kind of dangerous. Just like, I could, you could cut that part out and just get to the song faster, please. Yeah, um, a lot of these are slow to start. It's five and a half minutes. There's mm -hmm. only two verses in this whole song. The rest is him just... It's the chorus. So this is the classic, like, take care of the plank in your own eye before you, like, try to move the splinter in your neighbor's eye message. Yeah, there's uh, strange diseases and there's no cure. Well, I did like this one better than the song before it. I have nothing else to say to it. You wanna, you wanna go to in the closet? Sure. So my first thought about this song was I was very, very afraid that the woman on that song was Janet Jackson. That was my first thought. I really thought that was Janet Jackson. And I was like, well, that's pretty dangerous. I mean, I think incest is actually illegal. <laughs> I mean, the song is a classic tale of boy meets girl, boy Homo tells. Says, oh, right. <laughs> boy tells girl not to tell anybody because, yeah. It is not Janet Jackson. It no. is Grace Kelly's daughter. I have a hard time understanding anything he's fucking saying. So I had to look at the lyrics when I listened to this album, and on A to Z lyrics, it says, Princess Stephanie of Monaco. And then, and it's like, what the fuck is Princess Stephanie of Monaco <laughs> on this? What the heck is going on here? I was like, did they have a, like a relationship? Like what? She's just a princess. Like what happened? And then I found out later that she was billed as a mystery girl. And it wasn't released until many years later that that's who it was. And that made a little more sense. Like, Mystery Girl was on the album. That would, if I saw Mystery Girl, I'd be like, that's definitely Janet Jackson. 
This is the first song on the album where I, I'm really into his vocals. I like the way he builds up in the uh, chorus. I think the like whispering effect that he does is kind of thematically consistent. Like if he's if he's like trying to keep this relationship in the closet, it makes sense that he's not talking about it too loud. I think you're ignoring the very obvious like in the closet, like as in like a closeted like you haven't come out of the closet, like you haven't come out yet. Like to me, this is a very very homoerotic song, and like the only reason there's a mystery girl whispering things about lust is to like try to give it some kind of radio play so they can pass off a, like a song like thing too about like gay love and like keeping that secret because there's like a mystery girl talking about lust on it. There was a lot of uh, if you grew up with Michael Jackson, you heard you heard a lot of this is a really touchy subject because I don't want to say that. All of his criticism as a person wasn't justified because he was a... Creepy dude? Yeah. Not just a creepy dude who was creepy. Like, Marilyn Manson's kind of a creepy dude. I don't think Marilyn Manson ever touched kids. I I don't know, know that much about Marilyn Manson. Except his own but... kids because he was raising them, right? No, that's Ozzy. Because they had that show. That was Ozzy. <laughs> All right. You totally just threw me off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But, like, some of the things that were said about Michael Jackson, because he, he was... He was just a he was he had a very strange personality. Like he was very like reserved and like very you know he spoke very softly. So there were there were those rumors about him. I don't really care whether he was gay or not. Right. I he was married to women most of his life. Not that that he means he was anything. married. Yeah, he was married to Lisa Marie Presley. Huh. And that's kind of the long story. People thought he married Lisa Marie Presley to prove that he wasn't gay. I can understand how they would come to that conclusion. <laughs> That's fair. I also can, but I'm going to give I'm going to give Michael Jackson the benefit of the doubt and just not talk about that at all, really, cuz I don't want to. <laughs> okay, well, is there anything um, you should say about this particular track? Yeah, I mentioned his vocals, but there's a second half of the song where he makes like orgasm noises? Yes. <laughs> Yes, there is. What What do we do with this? <laughs> Put it back in the closet. Put it back in the closet. I don't want it. Why is this on a record? But he does his orgasm noises, and then he does his, like, signature, like, hee, hee, hee. And I'm like... It's terrifying. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> and... That's what's dangerous, I guess. <laughs> maybe. Maybe this... Maybe we're just reading it wrong. I don't know. And just a quick note before we move on to the next track. This song is six and a half minutes long. Again... It's the third track, 18 minutes of music so far. That is a lot of music. This album is not very respectful of our time. <laughs> it is 77 minutes long, and we're on the third track. Go big or go home. Yeah, and I think I think there's a... Uh, not that long songs are automatically bad, but they usually are when they're pop music. I'm trying to think of an exception to that rule. Oh, I'm sure there is. Maybe so. All right, next track. It's too much. Yeah, okay. Nice track. I think we can all agree that motorcycles are fairly dangerous. This one, this one is really, really okay. I mean, I, I don't dislike it. It's one of the, it's, I think it's one of the shorter ones. It's three minutes and 30 seconds. Hot dog. I'm really a fan of how percussive this album is mm. for like a pop R&B kind of that like New Jack Swing type of album. I really wish I could just listen to the drums and the instruments. 
I mean, like, theoretically you can. I'm sure they have software where you can strip all of the vocals and things off. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not doing that. Oh, okay. My only note on this really was, like, meh. It's not a standout for me. It's alright. It's middle album filler. I know. It also uh, was very possibly a Maybelline commercial. I do, I do appreciate the song's dedication to not being six minutes long. Mm. And I think that's why maybe I feel for it more than I than I probably would just hearing it on its own. Because it's the first song that's like... It's like half of the other three songs we just listened to. Like in length. It's like... It's almost half. So... And that's crazy to me. <laughs> so I know that you said that thing about motorcycles. So I, I assume you're talking about the intro there where... They're very dangerous. runs away. But I would like to discuss car horns in songs. I loved that, actually. I thought it was really cool to use that as part of the beat. Really? Yeah. I thought that was very... Have you ever been driving in traffic and then, like, listened to a song that has a police siren in it? Yes. It's awful. It's terrifying. <laughs> like, you should have a, a thing on the album that says, do not listen to this in a car. Same warning. thing. Yeah. Not trigger warning, like a, what do you call it, pedal warning. But, like... They there's should... a trigger in the pedal. No, there's not. Yeah, you trigger it and it goes down. No. No, that's not true. That's not... Anyway. <sighs> no, I think it's like, if I were driving and listening to this album and I heard that, I'd be like, oh crap, like where is that coming from? And I would, I would wreck. I would... It's not safe. Is what... It is dangerous. You're right. It is dangerous. Hmm. One up to my Michael again. Next song. The I'm next song is... Remember the time. Okay, I have some beef with this song. I think there it is lacking in consistency and the physical space, like it doesn't have any spatial awareness or like chronological awareness whatsoever. Like, he's talking about, like, do you remember when we first fell in love? And he talks about the fall. Then he talks about the spring. Then he talks about being on the phone or on a park bench. It's like being in Spain. Like, where are you? When what did this happen? Like, what? No, I'm not sure anyone remembers the time. Because apparently there were, like, a hundred times. Or a really long time that lasted forever. But you, like, the way he phrased it, it's like, when we fell in love. So, like... When we were in love, when we fell in love, you'd think the falling in love would be a shorter period of time than fall to spring to Spain to... And then he also, like, he's, like, one of the things that he, like, screams over the beat there at the end, he's, like, he talks about, like, uh, till dawn, two or three. Okay, when did the sun rise? 2 a.m.? 3 a.m.? What is he saying? I see where you're coming from with that. I thought this was like a breakup song and he was just like pulling things out of his ass trying to remember, like trying to convince his lover be like, hey, remember this, remember this, remember this and kind of like, like desperation mode and kind of just throwing all of this at a wall just to see if anything stuck. It probably didn't because there was, it was overload. My, my biggest uh, takeaway from this track is his vote. He sings a little bit different. I kind of, like hang on. I kind of want to like write a rival song. Like now that you said that, be like, do you remember the time you didn't answer the phone when I called you four times in a row and I thought you were dead. And just like all the reasons that she's probably breaking up with him. Yeah. And like, do you remember the time you didn't meet me when I got off the plane and you said you'd give me a ride to the airport and Uber didn't exist because it was 92? <laughs> That's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. But I, I felt like he sang a lot more warm on this track. And I think more it was what? Warm. 
Like, his, okay. his vocals sounded more warm to me. I guess the best way I can describe it. You could hear him instead of, like, yeah. in the other song. Yeah. And I think that was, I think, I think because the audience for this song was his lover. I probably read way too deep into this, didn't I? I don't know. Keep going. I thought the audience for this song was his lover, and he's like, like, like I said, desperation mode, and he's trying to be kind and warm and loving again, and that's why he's like, he, he kind of has a little bit more, like, heart and soul to his vocals or something. Like, he's not, he's not doing the hiccupy, whispery thing, mm-hmm. or the yelly thing here. Or orgasming. Well, <laughs> towards the end there, he kind of, uh, he kind of gets into that, and at this point in the album, I realize that I want to like Michael Jackson as a singer more than I do. Mm. Because you can tell he has talent, but it reminds me of this video on the internet where a girl plays the violin with her vagina. What? Why were you watching that? Why were you not? Why would why, you not click on why that? Why would I? Why? Uh, viruses? That seems... Watch this video of a girl playing a violin with her vagina. Now that is a virus that's about to destroy your computer. No. Common sense is why I wouldn't click that. Also, why would you want to watch that? I don't even want to know how it worked. I don't even... Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. That's enough. Alright, moving point on. The nope. I was impressed, but I wasn't really into it. Should, that's kind of how that I... make me feel better? That's kind of... <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about Michael Jackson's vocals. Never mind. Uh. Okay, so a uh, note that I had on this <laughs> uh, was that this song I felt felt really felt very late 80s as opposed to like the other stuff that built really early 90s. And it reminded me of why I don't like 80s radio. Like it all sounds very kind of repetitive to me. And yeah, this, this felt like it, it definitely would have been on 80s radio. I also made the mistake of looking up the lyrics. Oh no. Yeah, which it read like a really bad high school poem. I mean, you can get a kind of a sense of it, but like, you know, like when people like try to like follow a rhyme scheme in high school and like love poems, and it's like, in each other's eyes we'd stare. I was like, stop, stop writing, stop. <laughs> I felt that way about a lot of his lyrics on this album, especially the ballads. Um, well, and so, and it maybe it's just how pop music has changed, or maybe it has something to do with Michael as an artist, but, like, so I looked up, like, well, who wrote this song? And he wrote all the songs on the album, except for, like, one. Yeah. Maybe two? It's two. Yeah, and, uh, so, yeah, there's no excuse, that's all him. <laughs> <laughs> At this point in the album, I think what you said, it, it sounds like late 80s radio. This is kind of a good indicator indicative moment why we started in 1992 because this is the probably not the last album that sounds super 80s but it's one of them but it's like it's the tail end 1990 and 1991 were basically the 80s kind of like how 1980 was basically the 70s kind of like how 2000 was basically the 90s which is why we're including it yeah yeah and then the 90s ended at 9-11 so for uh those of you who skipped the intro to this podcast I uh, wanted to make a note there and say that that we have decided to do the number one albums of the '90s, but like the conceptual '90s. So we have as a decided, culture, right? '90s culture, right? So we have decided to start the year that bore Bill Clinton as a presidential nominee, like '92. Well, and, also this album, right? It's knocked off by Nirvana, right? So. And Nirvana comes along to like '9/11. That should be our catchphrase: Nirvana to '9/11. Hee hee, hee hee. No. <laughs> so I like the general beat of this one. Like, it's poppy, it's nice, like, it makes me want to dance. But he just sounds, like, so distressed 
throughout this entire song. Uh, I agree with you. I was really into the beat, and the, again, I think it's really... I, anything... I feel like anything good I like about this album is mostly Teddy Riley's fault. I don't... I, I'm probably not giving enough credit to Michael Jackson, but what I like about this album is Teddy Riley. So this is another one of the songs on the album that I feel like it's vaguely terrifying because like this sounds like a kidnapping song oh really like, can't let her get away right like like he is chasing someone down the interstate in a car you know what it is though playing. you know what it is though what dangerous oh wow <laughs> so like there's this the lyric like he just so it starts out it's poppy it's nice and he says some things take time and shame. Like, okay. Whoa, whoa, it's right I missed the, that. Okay, it's right at the beginning. Go back and listen to it. It's right at the beginning. It's like, it's a lot darker. Like, all of a sudden he goes, whoop. And then, like, he just it's like, he just drops that line and then continues on. Like, what does that mean? Like, what the heck, Michael? Yeah, okay, so it's right. That is, like, that is a lyric that I would expect from, like, Nick Cave moaning over piano. Not Michael Jackson, like, popping on a beat. No, it kind of, like, the beginning, like, what does he say in the first line of the song? Uh, <laughs> I thought she had to have it since the first time she came. Let's That's start what... there. Like, let's just start with that. That is who, one of these things. It's who like, knows the situation? Mysteries do remain. Is it really that hard to write about sex without being, like, I thought she had to have it? No, this whole album is about, like, oh, this girl wants it. Oh, I'm gonna give it to her. She doesn't want me to, but she wants me to. She wants, like, he should just rename this album, like, she wants the D. Like, that's what he should rename it. <laughs> D for dangerous, obviously. It's like, I feel like that's like a, like a Tinder profile, like, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm dangerous, and you show up and it's Michael Jackson. Well. And then you're like, maybe not, buddy. He's I don't, like, I No, think... I ride a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, my friend Kathy, she doesn't really like Death Cat for Cutie that much because, what? because like, they latch onto one phrase and, like, repeat it until they, like, run it into the ground, and, like, she, it just really irks her, and I, after, like, listening to this, I was like, I wonder if Kathy's ever heard this album, because the last, like, two minutes of the song are, like, I can't let her get away. Oh, yeah. I can't let her get this away. This is five minutes long, and, well, it's nice to know that Kathy doesn't have a heart. Hey, Kathy, if you're listening, I love you. So this one is called Heal the World. I call it Fuck This Shit. <gasps> what? Oh, it's so bad. Oh my god, are you serious? You were talking about middle school rhyming? Oh! Make the world a better place for me and you and the rest of the human race. I don't care about this. No, you know, even though it's kind of cheesy, I mean, it's it's cheesy. I, I think it's a standout track on the album so far. I really do. I will, I'll, may, I'll concede one thing to you, and that's something I didn't really hear when I listened to this before, was because I heard it on headphones. But when it's playing on, like, actual speakers, it sounds way better. Yeah. And I think I just really need to dedicate myself to listening to this, like, out loud instead of in my ears mm -hmm. because I was really overwhelmed with this song. I was just like, just like dripping with cheese, just like a nacho fountain. <laughs> okay. 
But his his vocals do sound really great mm -hmm. when they're layered. He sounds like his own boy band. Yeah, like, that was my first note on this song. I was like, wow, is that him singing? <laughs> like, that sounds really, like, very different than what, we, what we've heard before on this album, I think. And, like, it was really pretty. It was really good. Yeah, it's like it's like a bunch of multi-tracks of him harmonizing and then Bubbles the Chimp. Stop with the chimp. So, when he says, like, when he gets to the chorus and he says, like, better place, like, it becomes very, like, choral. Like, yeah. they merge it, like, in the production, they merge it with, like, violins. And it's sort of like an early auto-tune. Like, they turn it into a chord, you know? And you, know what, you know what we call that? What? Gospel music. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> no, like, okay, so I felt like this song needs to be on a soundtrack somewhere. Like, it reminds me of the Tarzan soundtrack. It probably should have been on the Tarzan soundtrack. Maybe. It reminded me of We Are the World. Honestly. Well, sure. And Wasn't it before We Are the World? When no, was We Are the World? Like, 85. Oh. Sure, yeah. I would say that it's inspired by that. Yeah. And Listen, like, when he said, I, I believe that you're all my brothers, like, I think he really believes that. Like, it sounded very earnest. No, I'm not doubting Michael Jackson's earnesty at all. I'm doubting whether I buy into it, though. You don't have to share his vision for the world. <laughs> you just have to listen to it. We Are the World, We Are the Children, and My Own Personal Playground, or... Wow. Okay. Stop. Uh, hey, I'm not the one who touched kids. That's all on him. Allegedly. Oh, it's not allegedly. Oh, well, I'll take that part out of the podcast. <laughs> okay, should we go to the next song? Yes. Black or white? No, you can't. S no. <laughs> no. No. I can't leave that in. Are you serious? What? <laughs> Eat this. intro though like that was it was precious it was strange it was cute for it, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, so this is the first appearance of slash on the album actually he does the uh, little intro part there he does not do the rest of the guitar that is a man of by the name of tim pierce who is credited for heavy metal guitar <laughs> really and yeah tim pierce is actually a really good guitarist he's worked with santana bruce springsteen rick springfield meatloaf most importantly the cheetah girls <laughs> this song had a little bit uh, busier production. I don't feel like it was like as minimal. Like I, th I think this was group thought to be the big single from this album, and it was. I realized that I did not do my history with this album. Early installment weirdness. Here we go. My history with this album, I remember owning it on cassette. I remember wearing it out, but I was also three years old, so I don't remember that much about it. I think maybe I didn't wear it out. Maybe it melted in the car. Wow. That's what I'm really remembering. Wow. Or maybe like... They just told me that because they didn't want to hear Michael Jackson again. That's more probable <laughs> in this situation. But this video, have you ever seen this video? No. Okay, I'm, so... Okay, here's something you will come to find out about me, I'm sure, over this podcast series, is that I didn't have cable growing up, and so I've seen, like, precisely maybe three music videos in my life. And those are the ones that are on YouTube now. So, no, I've not seen that video. I did. I was three years old, and in this video, he's, uh... He's dancing, and as he, like, spins around, he's turning into different people of different races and everything. Like, conceptually, it's a great video. When I was three, I did, I thought he was actually, but he was, like, he would, like, spin around and turn into somebody else, and I'd be like, Mom, how'd he do that? And I was, like, so impressed Aww. with, I thought he was actually turning into different people. I feel like it's disingenuous to compare an album and a song on an album to a music video, because, I mean, they're, no, no, no. they're I'm things not, to I'm, do with each other. But. I'm not right now. This okay. is this is my history with the album. Okay. 
And that's the biggest thing I remember from... Because I have heard this before. Like, I heard it when I was three. And now I'm hearing it, you know, 27 years later. Mm -hmm. I thought the song was like, it's real nice and poppy when it starts. Like, I like it. It's one of those, like, I don't really understand the song. So, look at the lyrics, right? Is he mad that people are thinking about his baby? Like, does he mean that if you're thinking about wanting to be his baby, he doesn't care about your skin color? If you're macking on his honey, his baby, <laughs> he will, like, kick your butt and it doesn't matter your skin color? Like, what does he mean with these lyrics? And, like, it's one of those, like, nice pop tunes that, like, you dance to, but, like, you don't actually listen to the lyrics to because then it'll just, like, ruin the song for you. See, I do because, like, the how you felt about Heal the World is kind of how I feel about Black or White. Well, so, what, so what's your interpretation? If you're thinking about my baby. It's not if you're thinking about my baby, it's the thing about my baby. No, it's if you're thinking about my baby. Oh, is that what the internet says? Yes, the internet says. Well, shit. That ruins everything. I mean, it I makes had a little say. more sense your way. I would say that's a, a properly misheard lyric. Like, you're trying to infuse some sense into that that doesn't currently exist. If you're thinking about my baby, like, okay, if you're thinking about being my baby, if you're, like, trying to hit on my baby, like, what is he mean? I think this is, like, I, I pop music is supposed to be. Like, it's designed to be vague, right? It's not something like... So, it, what is a Saturday bang? It's a... When you get... Yeah? <laughs> bone jangles on a Saturday and you get the extra spicy chicken biscuit. I don't think that's true. I don't think he picked his baby up and took her to Bojangles. Oh, that's not what I believe. Well, um, was Bojangles even around in 1992? If it wasn't, they were missing out. It's Bowtown. One of the lyrics I really liked in this song was... Don't tell me you agree with me when I saw you kicking dirt in my eye. I think you can look into it a little bit more that way. Because it's, it's about race. Like, oh, there's yeah. no way around it. I like this a little bit more than Heal the World because I feel like he's a little bit more defiant. I feel like he's a lot more like... It's not... It's not aggressive. It's not like a, an aggressive song. But it's kind of like, like a celebration song, almost. Even though he's like... Like, I feel like he's brushing off... I think it was definitely a song that was made possible by this era. Yeah. Like, and, like the opening lyrics. Like, I took my baby on a Saturday bang. Boy, is that girl with you? Yes, we're one and the same. Like, he's definitely about, like, interracial dating. It's like, yeah, like, it doesn't matter, like, what your race is. We can still be together. Like, I don't think this song would have been as possible in the 80s. Just societally. And I do, I do think that... You're correct in that, and I think I think it was really cool because this is the problem we have now. We have people who are in power who don't stick their necks out, mm -hmm. like who don't want to say anything. Michael Jackson took the initiative to be like to talk about interracial dating, taking oh. his girl to Bojangles on a Saturday. Look at that. Listen, I mean, like he directly speaks to the KKK in the song as well. Like he says. I ain't scared of your brother. I ain't scared of no sheets. Like, he's talking about the KKK. Like, that's what that is. Yeah. 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 I like the defiance in this. I like I like the kind of upbeat celebration vibe it has. Yeah, I like that too. This is easily the standout for me. Like, this is, this is the best song on the album as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The only issue I have with it is the rapper. Yeah, let's talk about that. LTB. Who is LTB? I think he was he was involved with the production of the album somehow. I don't know. I read up on this. I didn't write down any notes about him because he's not producing on this part. He's rapping. And what do you think LTB stands for? Um, Looney Tunes, brother! That's not... No. Let's not use that. Looney, you don't think he's Looney Tunes? Like, that's a really, like, early 90s nickname one would give oneself. I know, but I, I really think that it's his initials. <laughs> oh, like Lawrence Theodore Brown or something? Yeah. Um, I don't know why they couldn't bring the Rex and Effect rapper back from the earlier song. 
or Heavy D. Oh, wait, we haven't heard another rap yet yeah, this, we have. on this album. Have we, we had one in that we had one in Jam who was Heavy D. Oh, in Jam. Well, that's I tuned that out. And I think there was one in. It was either. Uh, no, I think that's it. We just had like Stephanie Monaco breathing. It was either the track after that or two tracks after okay. that. And there was another rap verse by the guy from Rex and Effect. Like the Rump Shaker people. Which I'm sure with Teddy Riley producing that. Every time you say Teddy Riley, like I just think in my head about the Atlanta episode with Teddy... What's his name? Teddy Perkins. Teddy Perkins. <laughs> so like I have no idea who Teddy Riley is, but you keep saying his name. And in my head, I think Teddy Perkins. Uh, not the same kind. <laughs> well, in my head, that's every time you say it. That's what Teddy I'm Perkins didn't, didn't do no diggity. Or... Did he? Hmm. I don't know that for sure. Conspiracy theory. Spinoff podcast. Uh, next song? <laughs> next song. Who is it? Um, before we talk about who is it, there's, there's one thing, one more thing I want to say about black or white. And I'm going to need your help for this. Okay. Can you just sing the vocal melody of Black or White? Just like hum it or... Uh... Like the verses. Like the vocal melody of the... My baby on a Saturday, baby. Do, 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 yeah. do, 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 What is that? Hungry Like the Wolf. What's that? Duran Duran. What's that? I don't know. It's a band, but I don't. I don't know that song. I don't. Think. You don't know "Hungry Like the Wolf." I don't guess so. Oh, they might have been a little bit more dangerous than Michael Jackson. Anyway. Do you think he riffed it? No, I think that's why I like "Black or White" so much. Mm. It's because it reminds me of that song, which is. There was a, a point in um, was it, I think "Remember the Time" where like in the chorus, this sounds really familiar, and I was like, "Your brother, sister, lover." When something friend? And I was like, oh, this is father figure. That's okay. <laughs> this makes... All right. Yeah. All right, so who is it? Uh, nice open, certified hot bass TM. So I wasn't really into it. Uh, I didn't really like the song, but I, I do admit the rhythm of the words is, is well done. Like, it's it's well written in that sense. Um, he definitely has that thing for secrets. This is, like, <laughs> the, what, eighth track? It's a nine track, so I guess, what, seventh track about uh, keeping secrets on this album? Yeah, we're three hours into this album at this yeah. point. So. Yeah, like my... <laughs> um, it reminded me of a lot of, like, coffee shop electronic music in the 90s, like Tom's Diner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's still... Like, I, I appreciate him. I appreciate his vocal stylings because they're a little bit outside of what you expect from pop music, I guess. They're, like, I would argue... I could, I could, I could argue that they're almost, like, avant-garde in the way that he phrases things. But I also just want to hear, like... Him sing. Yeah. These are really nice instrumentals. Okay, well, we still have one, two, three, four, five songs to go on this album, so let's move on. Okay. This is given to me, and there are so many of these that I'm just like, is he talking about kids? Like, <laughs> it's vaguely rapey. Not like, yet. It's not even vaguely rapey. Like, this is a really rapey song. He's like, given to me. He's like, your friends make fun of me, but they're not going to be making fun of me when I'm not around anymore. Like, what does that even mean? Uh, this would not pass muster in 2018. <laughs> I don't think a lot of this album would pass in 2018. I think, like, the oversimplification that he has about, like... Like, people got mad at Blurred Lines for the same shit, like, a couple years ago that he's talking about on this album. Maybe it's a time thing. Maybe Blurred Lines just... Maybe Blurred Lines should have just came out in 1991. It would have been then, a top hit. <laughs> well, it was a top hit anyway. Well, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. The lyrics are terrible. They're so bad. Slash, though. 
Slash so, on the song. Okay, so like when I was listening to this the first time, I was like, oh, strong guitar at the end. And, I, and then I looked it up, I was like, and that's Slash. Okay, yeah. strange pick, but whatever, maybe it's hard up for money. Like, I don't know. Do some features at this on point, Michael Jackson no. album? No, so I don't think Slash has ever been hard up for money. Well, there's a <laughs> lot of cocaine that he is in his world. Yeah. True. Show's not free. Uh, I, I do like the way he plays guitar on this song. I could always listen to Slash play guitar, though. Like, he's great. It's very... It's five and a half minutes long. The length is really killing me here. I almost wish this was either more of a ballad or if it was faster. Like, if it was a little bit more, like, faster or slower. But it's like... It's like... <laughs> faster It's right in that, like, mid-tempo where it's mm -hmm. like... I can hear the energy here, but it doesn't translate off the sounds yeah. I'm hearing. Like, I hear it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is uh, this is what I'm supposed to be... This is how I'm supposed to re be reacting to this song, but I'm not, because it's, like, very mid-tempo. Mm -hmm. It's like the... If you could... You could not go more mid-tempo than this song. <laughs> Next up, Will You Be There? Ah, uh, this is probably, I think, the most popular song off of this album. To me, let me go through this song in order, in chronological order. The first minute of the song, I immediately disliked it. The second minute was not great. At minute two, we come back into the Tarzan soundtrack, where we were back on Heal the World. So I was like, all right, I'm okay with this Tarzan soundtrack. Well... Right, so hang on, let me get to it. Four and a half minutes in, we get a key change. Still got three minutes to go on this song. Normally I like like churchy songs, like a gospel choir. I normally really like those, but I didn't particularly care for it on this track. I don't like the talking at the end where he sounds like he's crying. Like what's going on with that? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a little strange. And I think this song is like supposed to be open to interpretation as to whether it's like about God or a woman, but I'm just not so convinced about the God part. I can tell you what it's about. Wait, tell me in a second. I have one more thing. So fun story, I knew this song sounded familiar. So I looked it up and I found out it's on the Free Willy soundtrack. Now that is a great classic movie. Free Willy is all time wonderful movie. My signature and Michael Jackson story, I would say my first encounter with this album and anything on it, was we owned the Free Willy cassette tape, not cassette, VHS. Yeah. Um, watched it over and over and over. And like at the beginning, there's, because the song's like the signature song on the soundtrack. Yeah. Like it's like the video, like that Michael Jackson put together that like matches up him performing this song live and like scene from Free Willy, which I personally always felt was a spoiler because like then you found out like what was going to happen in the movie. And I was like, why would they put the beginning? Anyway. Flashdance. Right. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere, I think. This song is so much better when you're watching whales jump to it. <laughs> like, just look it up, watch the video. It was worth Smoke my some pot. How about seven minutes. My like my first encounter with Michael Jackson was through watching this video at the beginning of Free Willy. Mm. I looked at my parents because I was trying to like understand what was happening. Because again, I was like three and a half, right? Maybe four by the time that came out. I was like, "Is that a man or a woman?" And they just like burst out laughing because like he was like in like. He's pretty androgynous in that video looking, and he's like long hair, and was wearing like nothing that identified him as either male or female, and like you couldn't tell if he was like really flat chested, like I had no idea if this is a man or a woman. And I was like trying to get my four year old brain around it, because it mattered at that age. And I was trying to find like who was singing to me. <laughs> and uh, they thought that was hilarious that I had no idea. Because then I asked, well, is he black or white? And then, right, and so. And then your dad sang you the classic jam. No, he didn't. He's like, it don't matter if you're black or white. Wow, he should have, but he didn't. That was my, that's what I have to say about Will You Be There. 
I kind of had a similar experience with this song. I my initial note was why do all of his ballads sound like third rate Disney? Oh. <laughs> This is from the Free Willy soundtrack, which of course is Disney's uh, Romeo and Juliet interpretation, except it's a small boy and a whale. That's no, um, not true. It's a troubled youth. Ugh, no. We're not getting into this right now. I don't like this song. I don't care about it. It's too long. It's like mid-tempo. I feel like I've seen this in a musical. Like, I don't know. It feels like a song that like, like a fifth grade... Like, if there was a fifth grade musical, this song like was... Like, not quite high school musical? Like, elementary, elementary school musical? Yeah. <laughs> it's just so corny. <laughs> yeah. It is. It did, look, look, so, so, but here's look, the weird this thing. was written for a children's movie. I'm but 30 years old. But it wasn't. That's what I'm saying. This, it was on this album when the album came out in 92. Free Willy didn't come out until 94, and it was on the Free Willy soundtrack in, in the movie. I don't know if he wrote it for the soundtrack, and because, like, production times took so long back then... It just, because there wasn't, like, digital film and things like that. If it just, like, he wrote it for the soundtrack, put it in his album, and yeah. then no one knew it was going to be on soundtrack until, like, the movie came out. Or if, like, he wrote this and they were like, hey, that's great. Let's put it in the album. Let's put it in the movie. Why not? Well, it works well enough on a children's soundtrack where it doesn't really, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's fair. It's also seven minutes. Well, actually, it's uh, seven minutes and 40 seconds long. Jeez. So it's, it's eight minutes, basically eight minutes long. Oh, my gosh. Next song, Keep the Faith. This should be the theme to a 90s sitcom. Or 100%. Free Willy. No, I don't think about Free Willy. That's what the other song was for. At this point, it sounds like a different album to me. Than we started with? Yeah. Yeah, for I, sure. It's not even just like, first of all, I don't understand why this song had to be on the album. It's 77 minutes long. <laughs> this is six minutes long. So apparently, I don't know if you, you did this research, but apparently Michael Jackson recorded like 60 to 70 songs in making this album. Like he just recorded and recorded and recorded for years. Four years since the last Michael Jackson album. Yeah. And he picked these 14 for some reason. All right. I really wish he would have picked about 10 or 12, but... Yeah. And then cut them in half. Yeah, he needed a better editor. Yeah. But this, this song sound like it sounds different. Like, I don't know if... Uh, I didn't look into whether this was a different producer on this particular track. But I noticed, like, the mid-range is a lot more prominent. Sure. That's not something I, I noticed. Well, it's like the, like the mid-range is like that wool sound. Like, like bass is like boom. Mid-range is like wool. How is it like? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think the lyrics were cheesy, obviously. I like the breakdown in this song about a minute from the end. Yeah, yeah. It sounded a lot more like, I feel like it was almost his tribute to old soul music or something. Mm, I feel that. Cool. This one sounds very 80s. It's extremely yeah, 80s sounding. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. It's the 90s. Stop sounding like the 80s. Put away your cocaine. Get out your heroin. Whoa. Oh, Nirvana's next Yeah, week. I was like, we're not on Nirvana yet. <laughs> All right, next. Okay, pause. Gone too soon. When I first heard this, I was like, I feel like this was written for the AIDS epidemic of the 90s. The song was probably played at thousands of funerals. And rightly so. I mean, it's a beautiful song. Um, and then I looked it up, and it was. It was written for Ryan White. And it was actually one of the only songs on the album that Jackson did not write. I'm not 
too big on this one. Even though, like, I pre it reminded me of, like, almost, like, 50s, 60s ballads of, of singers from that era. Like, this, this, I could hear Frank Sinatra singing this, or Scott Walker, mm -hmm. or somebody like that. Really, like, that slow, kind of, you let the vocal breathe, you give it some space. The song is your vocals and some strings, basically. That was early pop music, right? I guess. Um, I mean, sure. It's I think it's an oversimplification. Yeah, but, but okay. I, I feel like this could have been a Frank Sinatra song. Like it, okay. it could have easily been like one of his. Like I think it's a stretch. But how long is this song? Three twenty-one. Wow, one of the shorter songs on the album. <laughs> right. Jeez. That's why I didn't write anything bad about it. <laughs> well, are you ready to wrap up our album with our last song, Dangerous? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm going to need an adult. I'm here for you. Okay. All right. So with Dangerous, we're back to the album proper after these weird ballads that we've been through. This sounds like the beginning of the album. Well, if you play it on repeat, it is. Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but it, there was like, there's like, the last few songs took away, like, everything after Black or White, pretty much to now, uh, sounds like a different album. I guess they're, I guess you could argue that they're deep cuts, but like, why not just... The first cut is the deepest, baby. I, I don't understand why... Like, who is it, give in, I guess Will You Be There kind of has to be on the album, but, and Keep the Faith, Gone Too Soon, I feel like they could have not been here. I don't know, I think, I mean, like you were saying earlier about, like, Michael Jackson like, actually sticking his neck out, like, in black or white. Yeah. I mean, him putting Keep the Faith, or putting Gone Too Soon on the album, like, even though it wasn't something he wrote, it was, like, kind of his statement of, like, solidarity with, like, the gay community, and people who were, like, being really affected by the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, but release it as a single. You don't necessarily have to put it on the album. This is this is back in the day when people actually bought singles. So you could have released that as like. It feels it feels like a, a strong political stance to you to put it on the album proper. Yeah. On unlucky number thirteen as well. <laughs> you get like three ballads in a row. Like you have the like given is his like hard rock ballad with slash like his power ballad, and then you have three regular ballads, and then you have this song. It's six minutes and fifty seven seconds long. So it's another seven-minute song. The spoken word parts on it, I'm not into. Like, I don't... That I, whispering reminded me of Madonna. Like, it sounded like a Madonna song at that point. Yeah, yeah. This this is so much back in the vein of, like, the first couple of tracks. I, I think the only way that makes sense to place it there is, like, if you're listening to the album on repeat and it just starts back over. Yeah, but, but it's also weird for me to bring it... For the, him to bring it back around. Yeah, I feel like it's a really lackluster song in the album one. Yeah. And, I mean, and you would think that maybe he would just end it with Gone Too Soon. Like, it's the album's over it's gone too soon right like it's a song about death like, i can it's a tell sad you song. i can like, tell you one thing, thing about this album, album that. is that it's not gone too soon it's 77 minutes long <laughs> if we cut dangerous we're still at 70 minutes Jeez. yeah okay so why do you think that this album was number one i think people knew the michael jackson name and they were excited to hear something else i mean thriller was in every household ever. If you had a house, Thriller was there. They like put it in the drywall. Uh, mm, uh and, it's a stretch. But this was like this album was such a big deal that a warehouse in Los Angeles was robbed and five armed guys stole thirty thousand copies. Well, how are they stealing without arms? <laughs> Come <laughs> on. Come on. <laughs> Give me a little laugh. You warn people about me and then you're over here. I'm not dry. I'm gonna laugh out loud funny. <laughs> R-O-F-L. That's enough. my name. Fair enough. L-T-B <laughs> and me. R-O-F-L. <laughs> <laughs> 
but we're awful. But I don't think there's any way like this album could be much worse than it is, and it still would have went number one for four weeks because Michael Jackson was Michael Jackson. I I my take on it was that it was the first Michael Jackson album in four years, and yeah. that's why it was so big. Also, like it had several singles on it, and so like he kept releasing singles, and people who hadn't yet bought it would just go out and buy it, like because then it would have three or four songs they knew on it. Yeah, there were nine singles from this album. There's mm-hmm. four what fourteen tracks. Mm-hmm. Nine of them. Which three were not? Three. Five. <laughs> Jeez, God. <laughs> I, I didn't write that down. Uh, I was an English major, crew. That's a ridiculous amount of radio play, first of all. Black or white. It was huge. Will You Be There was obviously on the Free Willy soundtrack, and that was a fairly popular movie. But really, I think it was just people were excited to hear Michael Jackson. This was his... Like, comeback? Not comeback, but... Resurgence. I, a resurgence, yeah, because... Even when you talk to Michael Jackson fans now, they don't talk about Bad, his album before this. I think this was his 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 uh, attempt to appeal to a younger audience because his audience was growing older. Like they were, they basically grew up with him because he started out with the Jackson Five and he was you know singing teen pop. And so they grew up with Michael Jackson. They hit Bad and they went you know into the age where record companies aren't marketing to you anymore because that's just what happens. So I think this was his attempt, especially like having Teddy Riley there at appealing to a younger audience. And I think that's why this album was huge. 32 million copies, you don't sell that. Unless you're Michael Jackson. Yeah, and you do something different. So I think this was his, I I definitely think this was his attempt to get back into the youth market. And I think, overall, I think it was fairly successful in that regard because... He has a lot of adult themes to be trying to get back into the youth market. Yeah, but kids don't hear that. That's fair. Like, I had this on cassette, and I was, like, three years old. That's ridiculous. You should have never been allowed to own this on cassette. Much less listen to it unsupervised. Well, I mean, there there is some, like, really, really not great sexual stuff on here. Yeah, that you were trained in from a small, <laughs> small age. You're correct. There's also environmental themes, yeah. racial issues. Heal the world. Yeah, heal the world. He talks about the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, these are adult themes. Not that the lyrics here are overly complicated <laughs> at all. It's not like he gets into, you like... You know what I had on cassette when I was three years old? The Barney soundtrack. I probably had that, too. Maybe. I don't really remember the Barney soundtrack. I do remember having Dangerous. I had, like, children's storytellers <laughs> and, like, folk songs. I had, like, Dangerous. I had Rush's Moving Pictures. And I had, like, a 60s compilma- compilation with, like, the Supremes and Chuck Berry on it. <laughs> nice. Oh, and the, uh... Tom Cruise, wasn't it? Risky Business? No. I mean, it had uh, powerful stuff on it. Yeah, it did. I I'll look it up later. About. It was like an 88 movie. Okay. Never we... seen the movie. Had the, had the cassette. Okay, talk about critical reception. So as far as, before we get into our own reaction and reception to the, all this, um, some contemporary reviews at the time, it was fairly well received. Rolling Stone gave it 4 out of 5. Uh, the Village Voice gave it an A-. minus. One of the one of the weirder things that stood out to me about the Rolling Stone review is they said it was his first man album instead of his first man child album, which is really weird. They said that. Yeah, they did. That is a weird way to review something. Yeah, I thought so as well. He... And that kind of really insulting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, well, like what... a backhanded, like that is not even a backhanded compliment. It's just like a backslap. <laughs> that's why. That's why. Why you want to trip on me, Rolling Stone? Why you want to trip on me? <laughs> Village Voice. Beautiful, by the way. Chris Willman of the LA Times didn't really like a lot of the album. He was a little bit more critical of it than everybody else. 
He did like the first half of songs. He thought they were innovative, and this is another one of those phrases, but he thought they were overtly black. Huh. And I was just thinking about that, and I can't really, like, I don't think he should have written that, maybe, necessarily, but I can't argue with him. Like, I feel that the first the half first of the song, half? yeah, like the really funky ones, hmm. the ones that would have, like, fit right at home on, like, urban radio. Okay. And it's just one of those weird things that, like, critics point out that you're like, well, it's not how I would have phrased it, but it kind of makes sense. Uh, more contemporary reviews, all music gives it a 3.5 out of 5, and they judge, they give a score to an album based on what else the artist did, rather than compared to the rest of music. Yeah. So 3.5 out of 5, which kind of indicates to me that's what... C minus. Yeah. It's like, well, it's not as good as the rest of his stuff, but it's still pretty decent. Uh, Pitchfork gave it an 8.6 out of 10, which is a pretty high score. That's a, well, a B plus. 60% is not a B plus. 8.6 out of 10. Well, he said 6 out no, of 10. No, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just barely a B plus because eighty five would be straight up B. Yeah. So in that vein, do you want to give it a do you want to give it a grade? Yeah, I'm gonna give it two point five stars. All right, all right. I think I'll give it two point five teehees. Teehees. All right, I'm gonna give it two point five. All right. Yeah. So we both. So, like, if you want to translate it, that into a letter, <laughs> that's like. We liked less than half of it, but barely. Well, I don't know. Was I asleep for the other half? Or... <laughs> All right, what, what, what's your keep track? My keep track, I was thinking about it. I want to go black or white, but I feel like you don't. No, that's mine, black or white. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. that's my keep um, track, absolutely. Keep track, definitely black or white. Uh, we're going to make a Spotify playlist that has all of our like standout tracks, so uh, be sure to follow that. We'll put it in the show notes. So for every album, we're choosing a track. Uh, a track that we would keep and a track that we would lose, like delete forever. Delete. So we're going to make Spotify playlists of both or just the one? Oh, we can do both. Like the worst songs from the 90s. Yeah, if we ever get into torture, <laughs> if we ever open up our own Guantanamo Bay, we can. We have a soundtrack prepared for that. So. What song would you lose then? Oh, there's so many to choose from. There's 14. Yeah, that's a lot. I think that I would get rid of In the Closet. That's what I picked! <laughs> I don't need to hear that song ever again. Yeah. I don't need to hear no. the orgasm noises. Sorry, Princess Stephanie. Yeah, sorry, Grace Stay Kelly's. in the closet. Yeah. Stay in the closet. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time.